0: Some of you might know of my love for diagrams and for illustrating data and having data presented in kind of like really cool ways. Have you ever bought a book on diagrams, like how to make them look more pretty? (laughs) I have. Of course I have. Beautiful Evidence is a book by uh, Edward Tuft. He's a designer. It's kind of like a, Kind of go to thing. I mean, he goes into even to like PowerPoint slide design and why they're mostly horrible. Um, it's a fascinating book uh, about how important it is for us to not just have data represented, but represented in a way that connects with us and a, in a way that we can make sense of. You now, I love that. I, I think this is kind of like the Christian life. Like, we are more than data givers, we're more than like data receivers or downloaders, collectors. Our lives were created to make sense of the reality that Jesus is a better king than all others. That's what our lives are all about. Our lives are beautiful evidence of a God who loves us, who stays with us even when we don't deserve it, who who get to be a part of something bigger with him. That's what being a witness is. Maybe you've heard this term of like witnessing or a witness or being a witness. Or It happens around the church a lot. It comes from places in the Bible. Um, a lot like kind of the stories that we have for today. Now, if, if you're wondering, like, what in the world does that mean to, like, witness? I know about a witness in, like, a like a courtroom situation. What does it mean here? Well, this is what it means. Making sense of the truths of the gospel as exhibited in your life. Just making sense of the truths of who God is, what, what he's done in this world, what this world is about, who we are, what we're supposed to do, and just exhibiting them in your life through what we do and through what we say. Now, that's no easy task. I don't know if you've tried to live in that way before, but it's no easy task. Being a witness when it isn't easy is not something we can do by ourselves. We need each other. We need Jesus himself. And those things are always working together. And without Jesus working, our lives will lack integrity. The stories that we tell about our lives to others and to ourselves will be all about us. We'll be talking about how awesome we are, and we'll never share the gospel with someone else. We'll never talk about the good news of what it means for Jesus to be king as compared to everything else being anything else being king. We'll never talk about why that's actually good news. So Jesus, through his resurrection, gives us new hearts that desire integrity. we didn't really before now we like desire it in a different way and this new heart gives us a better story that includes us but isn't always about us it's about something bigger it 's about Jesus. And also gives us the boldness to share about the gospel, the good news that Jesus is king. Now, because I really do like diagrams, it's not just kind of like a setup as an intro. I just, I love them. We'll use a diagram to look at the story in Acts chapter 24 and 25. So what we're, what we're let's just talk about what it means to be a witness first. So we have three things, our personal lives, our personal stories, and the story of the gospel. There's three parts. Our personal lives, our personal stories, the stories of the gospel. It's like a three-legged stool. You need to have kind of all three in order for it to work. And a two-legged stool never really like helped anybody. It just kind of will fall over. So we have our actions, our stories, and the gospel. Now, if there's only one of these, if it's only our actions... That's kind of like the classic liberal mainline church. It's an activist group. You're all about helping in your behavior, but not anything else. If it's only our stories that we talk about, that's a classic therapy situation. It's like a support group. And if we only have the gospel, if we only have the good news, that's classic fundamentalism. It's like just like a Bible college by itself. So that's if you only have one. Now, all these three are important. We need to have all these three going on. But what if we only have two? Well, sharing our stories of being changed by Jesus, sharing why it's good news that Jesus is king, but having personal lives that don't add up, that's hypocrisy. That's what it means to be a hypocrite. Having a life of integrity and even talking about Jesus with others, but not sharing our own stories Leaves our words and actions impersonal, leaves them out there, not rooted in real experience. It doesn't put flesh on the bones. We make ourselves the heroes, even though we're really not. Having a life of integrity and sharing our own stories without actually talking about the gospel with others is an impotent faith, never asking anything of anyone. And that's powerless. See, we need all three. The Bible says that we need all three, and again, it's like a three-legged stool. All three kind of have to be working all at the same time. Doesn't work with one, doesn't work with two, and he's three. Otherwise, it's not good for anything. So we're going to take these three legs, one leg at a time, and talk through them, starting with our actions. What does it mean to to act with integrity? Especially when it isn't easy. Well, it's not always easy to act with integrity, it probably rarely is. When someone does you wrong you want them to feel that same kind of hurt you, or, or even maybe a little bit more if possible when you do something good and it's returned with grumbling it's overlooked or even outright attacked it's easy to be overwhelmed and in our exasper- ex- exasperation think well, like what good was any of that then integrity is integral for a life with jesus it's integral for the mission it's integral for your own soul so let's look about where that comes from in our story today so we have paul He's brought before the governor, Governor Felix. He's already experienced many injustices at this point and they just kind of keep coming. The hits keep on coming. He's wrongfully accused and now the consequences are big. He's able to respectfully address Felix, the governor here, as well as Festus, a little bit, another governor later. Both are kind of big wigs in the Roman government. He's accused of all sorts of things and he's not guilty of any of them. The accusers, here's the thing, accusers are always going to be there. This is like, you know, the first century version of haters going to hate. There's always going to be there. But can the charges stick? That's the real question. Haters will be there, but can the charges stick? We spend most of our lives worrying about the accusers. We do well to spend that energy on our own hearts. There's more than enough there to keep us busy. Plus, that's really the only thing we can control anyway. We can't control what other people think or say or do about us. So Paul, he was in prison for years here, like, and unjustly, falsely in prison. There's no sense that Paul's done anything wrong. There's no sense that anyone actually in power thinks he's done anything wrong. And Felix, by the way, is just hoping to get a bribe. He's holding out for some money. The story tells us that Paul is unjustly in prison. Why is he there? Again, no reason. You might be thinking of our friend, maybe, if you know him in Redeemer, who's been in prison for far longer than he should be now. It's the same kind of thing that's going on here. It's not just. Paul, just end it already. Just give this guy some money. Give him the bribe and move on. You got like a big mission. You have all these other churches that could use you. Uh, You can, you know, surely like you can just do the bribe and move on. Of course, Paul must have been tempted by that. Who wouldn't be? But in those difficult times, he acted with integrity. He stayed the course. Then he appeals to Caesar This was something that a roman citizen could do something that a roman citizen had access to it seems that paul senses he'll be safer with the state than going back with the religious leaders in jerusalem and he's probably right with that now we don't know if paul was using this as an opportunity to spread the gospel we're not kind of given that information here but whatever paul's motives or intentions were behind the scenes we'll see that's exactly how god uses it god will use it for paul to spread the gospel in a place that he wouldn't have been otherwise But that's for a whole other sermon. We'll get that some other time. Now, in all of this, Paul is acting with integrity. He's acting with integrity. People will accuse him, but he's innocent. If we walk in righteousness, we have this kind of freedom. There's a certain kind of freedom there. People might accuse us. People might spread lies about us. We can't control that. People are going to do what they're going to do. But we can at least know that in our hearts and before God we're innocent. And that gives us a certain kind of freedom. And Paul, of course, he's not acting in a vacuum. People are seeing this. We're even reading the story today, millennia later. His life is on display. Same with ours. Now, you people may not be reading about your life, you know, 2,000 years later, but there are people who are watching how you react at difficult times in your life. People are always watching. Now, personally, I can picture this scene for Paul. I went through a time where I was wrongfully accused of a federal crime by my father and the FBI, the federal court system, It was it's, even the architecture, it's all set up to make you feel very, very small for you to realize you actually don't really have any power here. The first legal paper I saw that was put in front of me said the United States of America versus Greg Wilson. Like all of the states? I didn't do anything to any of these states and they're all against me. When we are under fire, in difficult spots, when there's an easy way out, or you just want to act out, we've all been there, right? Because we've all been there. When we're there, we will always be tempted to be self-righteous, to hurt someone else, to really play up the victim, to all sorts of things. But what does it look like to act with integrity? It means not repaying evil with evil. It means being silent when we'd like to go off on somebody. It means taking the hits and not returning them. Or, if we do, respond in gentleness. Now, how do we do this? The only way we can live this way is if we take everything to Jesus. That's the only way we can live this way, if we take everything to Jesus. We aren't meant to hold on to our own pain. We weren't created to do that. We're not meant to hold on to others accusations we're not meant to hold on to the injustices that happen against us we're meant to give it away to others and to him and that means when we're in that place that really difficult place we have to pray we pray often because there's no other way to give it to him than to talk to him about it that's a necessary part just a a quick little sidetrack here about prayer, I often hear from people, especially when people are at work or people are really busy, saying that they can't pray or that it'd be weird to do so or they didn't have time to do it or something like that. I'm not sure kind of what your expectations of prayer might be, but if that's, if, if that's you, you're like, oh, there's no way I can possibly pray at work. You might need to take your expectations of what your prayer life is, or what a good prayer is, or something like, down a notch, or maybe down a few notches. You don't need to pray out loud. You don't need to take a long time. You don't need to use big, massive words. You don't need to follow some kind of like, you know, list of things. If all you can do is just be really quick and honest, then just be really quick and honest. A quick and honest prayer is, is way better than no prayer at all. It's like send, if you were quickly send a text to somebody like, hey, I'm, I'm I need some help. Can you help me? That's like what the prayer could be. God, I need your help. That's it. You can even just like have it in your head and talk to him. That doesn't take any time. You can just pause and take a breath. Take a, you know, 20 second walk not even 20 seconds. If you don't have 20 seconds, I guarantee you, you do. But you know, we all think like we don't because you know work is really busy. You just say, Jesus, give me your strength. Or I need you to help me get through this or just help me. That's super simple to do. Anybody can do that. If we don't do this, we'll respond to our circumstances in our own strength and we won't act with integrity because we can't by ourselves. We're made that way by ourselves. We can't do it. Only Jesus working through his spirit in us can allow us to live this way. So that's acting with integrity. That's the first leg. The next leg of our three-legged stool is sharing our story, sharing our story when it isn't easy. Now, this is talking about our own relationship with Jesus, what it means for us to follow Jesus. Now, we won't always get these opportunities kind of all the time, but they might come up. In fact, they probably will come up, just as it kind of came up for Paul. So, Paul, he gets asked to give a defense by Governor Felix. And again, Paul uses his defense to talk about the gospel. There's a focus here for Paul. There's a hope of restoration, of the resurrection, and Paul knows about the resurrection in this really deep personal way that when he's given like a space of however many minutes to respond the resurrection is part of it he's able to talk about how it's a hope for him so the resurrection is more than intellectual knowledge it's more than just like something cool or interesting to learn about this is something that Paul has got from years of contemplation of walking with god of praying through and and of reading the bible of course about by walking with Jesus for a long time, by not being enamored by the things of this world. And of course, Paul has the life to back it up. Now, how do you hear others share their stories? Who, who's the focus? How do you share your stories? Who's the focus? Are you the hero of your own story? Are you the hope of your story? When Paul was telling his story, his hope was in the resurrection. Now we might say, oh yeah, of course the resurrection, but really, like, if so, what does that look like in your own life? How does the resurrection matter in your own life? It's one thing to talk about the Bible. It's another thing to talk about your own life in the Bible. You know, It's not easy here. Surely it must not have been easy here for Paul to share about the hope of the resurrection. That's what got him there in the first place, right? And yet he keeps on banging on about it. It's Paul, he's, he just has this hope. It's unshakable. Does the hope of one day... Being resurrected, like this is going to happen for real, is that your hope? And we can't act like it is until it really is. Is that what keeps your head up? Is that what keeps you going? How would others characterize your life? Is Jesus even really kind of big a big part of it? Now, here's a question. How does the hope of the resurrection, how will it affect you Tuesday at 2 p.m.? How is it going to affect your life then? How does it connect with your life, like your real life, not just like the Christianized version of us, of ourselves? We believe the resurrection is an important and integral and fundamental part of the Christian life, which is why we put an emphasis on sharing our stories in our missional communities here at Redeemer. Now, that's difficult for most of us to think about, the resurrection, how it matters in our everyday kind of life, because it might be a bit of like an intellectual kind of abstraction or a theological exercise. But if the resurrection isn't real, the Bible even says that we are the people who should be pitied above anyone else. So we can functionally act like the resurrection isn't real or that it doesn't matter. And that's a pitiful way to live the Christian life. That is not an enjoyable Christian life. And that's why we want to include something um, on the resurrection in our training tracks. So we have a few training tracks at, uh, Redeemer. One is the foundations course, which is about like discipleship. It's about like the vision of the church. The other one is the th- theology track, which is, uh, learning, getting more deeper into these larger theological themes. Um, we'll, we'll be, we'll having a, a new series going on in the autumn. So keep your eyes out for that. Well, one of these modules is living the cross and resurrection. And it's all about that. How does the cross and resurrection intersect with your everyday life, everyday life? See, the resurrection is the story of a better world coming, one which we get to be citizens of. The resurrection is the power to live a life of integrity. The resurrection is proof that God will never leave us in our need. The resurrection is a future promise that all the spiritual blessings we experience partly now will be fully and completely realized in the new heavens and earth. Living by the resurrection allows us to not live for stuff, to not hold others' views of us too high regard, to love others with a heavenly love, to see the brokenness of this world and not yet be overcome by it. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. There should be no joy. There, life would be absurd without the resurrection. It would have no meaning without the resurrection. And all of this that we're reading today is all about the resurrection. all because Jesus resurrected He went through hell to give us life. That's what he did. And when we follow him, we have him, the resurrected Lord, with us at all times. You are never alone. Ever. You are powerless. Yeah, we get that. But he's not. He's with you. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in us because of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent into our lives. See, the church is found in the center of the dance between Father, Son, and Spirit. And the resurrection is the hope that we're living into. One day we're going to see that fully, completely realized. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing about Jesus' resurrection. There's a lot of great stuff in there. We're not going to get into all that. But at the end of it all, he says, Therefore, because of the resurrection, because of the saying, Therefore, know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I feel like my work is in vain all the time. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, I'm not supposed to, right? Because I'm a pastor doing like spiritual things. Of course I feel like it's in vain all the time. Everyone does. Maybe you do too. But if we're in the Lord, if we're following Jesus, that work is not in vain. It's not. Because it's Him at work. Okay. Back to our three-legged stool. Acting with integrity. Sharing our story. Lastly, sharing the gospel with others when it isn't easy. Now, all of these might be, you know, you might be saying, like, none of these are ever easy. You don't have to say when it isn't easy, Greg. It's never easy. But probably for most of us, this last one creates, like, more stress sweats than others. Like, oh, no, he's got to talk about this evangelism thing. How long is he going to talk about it? How long can I bear it before we have to move on? Well, hopefully it's not going to be guilt-ridden. Sharing the gospel when it isn't easy sharing the gospel when it isn't easy uh, and it rarely is so where does this come from in the text well let's look at when paul is with felix at the end of chapter 4 uh, 24 so, Paul is under some kind of like house arrest. He's under some kind of custody. And, uh, he's talking with this high official, Felix, this governor, this guy who's in charge of, um, the Roman government here. He has a Jewish wife. He knows a lot about the way, which means he knows a lot about Christians. And Paul gets to talk about the gospel of Felix over like a long time. Because remember, Felix is holding out for a bribe. This is like years. Felix is like, when is this guy gonna, when is he gonna give me a bribe? Paul doesn't give him a bribe. What does Paul talk about? Look at verse 25 of, um, of chapter 24. He talks about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave because it was just a bit too much for him. Paul could have talked about anything, but he chose those three things. Why? Because Paul knew his audience. See, Paul never had some kind of like, this is the gospel presentation and so many X kind of steps. It's different in every situation. When he talks to a rich, powerful person, he talks about righteousness. Righteousness is is what it means to be just, what it means to to make good and right decisions for everybody. He talks about self-control, what it means to not indulge in what someone like Felix could have indulged in. And he talks about the judgment to come. Again, this resurrection theme coming through. It says "The, the judgment to come, the resurrection is good news for those who follow Jesus. It's not for those who don't. So it seems like in here... That Paul is winsome. He's not contentious. He's not trying to start a fight, but he is dedicated to truth. And Felix's response, he's like, "I, I, I've got enough. You got to go away." He's fearful. He can't handle it. It almost seems too much for him because a life without Jesus is scary. Now we don't hear that Felix was like mirac- miraculously converted, but that's not really the point for us, is it? That's not the point for Paul. Paul wasn't like, ah, Felix isn't really going to care about this. He's not going to really think about a Christian thing. That That's not what Paul was doing. Maybe he thought that, but that's not how he acted. It's God's job to change hearts. It's our job to be faithful with our lives, our stories, and the words we use with others. As in here, the gospel. Now, you can't present. Gospel means good news, okay? Good news is what gospel means. You can't present good news to someone if you don't know what makes something good for them. You just can't. The gospel has many facets. You can't bring up all the aspects of the gospel. You can't bring up the entire gospel in one conversation. So which one, the question that we need to be asking, which one is God using? Which aspects of the gospel is God using to draw this person to himself? Is it adoption into God's family? Is it justice for people who are marginalized? Is it the power of the Holy Spirit in everyday life? Like Who knows what it could be? This all means that for sharing the gospel, the first act must be listening must be empathy, and not just kind of hearing, but like listening. When people talk about what's going on in their lives, listening to really what's kind of going on, asking good questions, kind of wanting to really know what's going on in their hearts. When we listen, and sometimes for quite some time, we then are given windows. And when those windows open up, we get to speak into it. That's what we get to do as we follow Him. Whether or not someone responds, that's not in our power. Of course, we want them to respond We hope for it. We pray for it. We work as hard as we can so that they will. But we can't control that. We don't have to kind of live under that kind of burden. Whether or not we feel we have the right words in that moment, it's actually really not our concern. The Holy Spirit has the right words. He is with you. The mission itself is an opportunity to depend on Jesus. Often, I think the reason why we're not on the mission is because we really aren't depending on Jesus anyway. And so the mission is even like way more scarier thing. Why would we ever talk to anyone about Jesus? Well, if we're depending on Jesus, that allows us to. It forces us to depend on him until we step into these uncomfortable places. We'll always be reserving a little bit of ourselves from God. We'll be keeping ourselves a little bit away from him. We won't fully experience the joy of the Christian life. But how to do this? Sounds great. How can we do this? The book of Acts Over and over again, it makes it clear. The boldness that we need. This is a bold way to live. The boldness that we need comes from the Holy Spirit. We work hard, we listen, we plan, we pray, and boldness comes from the Spirit. If we're not going to act, we'll never experience that boldness. Don't wait for the boldness. Sometimes it's not going to be there when you want it to be. If we don't act expecting the Holy Spirit to work, we'll probably never experience that kind of boldness. Sometimes we won't feel it. Sometimes we'll feel weak even while we're speaking. Sometimes maybe we'll feel strong. That's all great. All those are great. Okay, that's fine. But none of those has anything to do on whether we say something or not. None of that is a reason to say something or to not say something, depending on the spirit, is how we know when to act. It means asking for opportunities. If you love someone who isn't a believer, you will be asking for opportunities to come up. That's... There can be no other way for you to love, better way for you to love that person. Actually, speaking, even. You know, we don't speak because we're afraid. We don't believe Jesus is with us. We don't believe the Spirit has the power. We don't speak because we think we need to know more, as if Jesus only uses clever, learned people for his mission, which is a lie, by the way. We don't speak because we value our comfort above other humans. We tell ourselves many things, but really, these things, at the end of the day, are playing each one of us. All that's all swirling around inside of us. And we don't rise above this through guilt tripping, we don't rise above this through willpower. We don't rise above this through passion. We are obedient to Jesus through His Spirit. His Spirit is will provide the way. If we're a way off, if we're like so far removed from this, like there's no way we can even think of thinking of it, then we'll pray. And we ask the Spirit to change who we are. And if we don't enjoy our relationship with Jesus now, we don't get why it's good news for us now, there isn't hope to commend anything to anyone. Why would we commend something to somebody that we actually don't even like ourselves? So if you're not really in that place now, where you're not enjoying your walk with Jesus, like that's fine. There's no expectation of you have to be somewhere automatically. Work from where you're at. In the end, though, Redeemer, as a church, we won't grow if we don't speak. That's a reality. That is true of every single church has ever existed. We won't grow if we don't speak about the gospel. A silent church is a powerless, impotent church, and a two-legged stool isn't good for anything. If we say we love Charlton, we must speak the words of the gospel. If we say we love others, we must speak the words of the gospel. If we say we love people, and we aren't speaking words of the gospel, we are hypocrites, straight up. So who are like the three people or whatever in your life who don't know Jesus yet that you could talk about with some of this with? These are people who might be leaning more into relationship, who when you talk about spiritual things, they actually you know, might perk up a little bit. There's some kind of level of, of interest or curiosity maybe. Pray for them. Pray for them every single day. It could be you know, a quick couple minute prayer. Seek out those opportunities when they come. Go forth in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who is at work in your life right now as you're listening to this. And will be at work in your life later on when you fail, because we all will fail as well. Now in all of this, we find that our hope is found in the resurrection. Our hope to live a life of integrity is the resurrection. Our hope to share our stories in a way that puts Jesus in the center stage? Resurrection. Our hope to share the gospel? Resurrection. Jesus' resurrection isn't just merely a future hope disconnected from our present reality. It's a future hope connected to our present. So I, the way I, I like to think about this, Colin learned, learned how to ride a bike uh, like a, some weeks ago, maybe actually a few months ago. I had to tell him, look, when you're riding a bike, Where you look is where you go. Especially when he and I are out, like, kind of on the roads or on the trail, which we've done a few bike rides, he'll look somewhere and all of a sudden he'll start veering off and, like, run me off the road. Where you look is where you go. It's the same with our lives. When our eyes are fixed in the future, that's the the direction we go. That determines the direction we go in the present. Where our eyes are fixed, where our hope is, is where we end up going. A hope disconnected from the present, that's not a real hope at all. That's a pipe dream. That's nothing. Where is your hope? Does any of this sound attractive at all? Are you curious at all? What might be your next step? If you don't know who Jesus is, and you've been actually listening through all of this. Congratulations, by the way. It's quite a feat. Well done. But And yet if you're like, I just really just kind of want to learn more. I want to know more about it. What might be your next step? Maybe if you're not on our email list, and our email list just kind of gives... Um, Super brief, once a week update on what we're doing and how to learn more about Jesus, how to get more involved with this. So joining our email list would be really, might be your first step. That's at redeemermcr.com slash live. There's a little sign up button there and that will connect us. It might be that you've been listening to some of these sermons or maybe you know some of these people who are in Redeemer and you're interested in, in joining in and you're already on the email list. You've been, you've been there. Just reply to any of those emails we get and just say, I'd like to take another step. I don't even know what that is yet. Can you help me? We can help sort out what that next step might be. might be reading the Bible with somebody. It might be learning how to pray. It might be getting more connected to community. There's all sorts of paths we can go. But seriously, let us know because we want to help you out in that. We want to be a part of this together. Now, Our hope, as people who follow Jesus, our hope is a world made new. Our hope is not heaven. Our hope is the new heavens and earth a recreated world that Jesus is in the midst of of making new right now, where all the roads are straight and lead to the sun, where cracks in the pavement are smooth, where all that is wrong will be made right, as Jesus leads us with our recreated hearts into his recreated world. As we follow Jesus with this hope, we find we get to participate in this newness in the here and now, Others get to experience the wholeness that we get to experience because our eyes are set on Christ. The road might be bumpy, might be smooth, might have some dangerous curves in it, in all of it, even though it isn't easy. Life rarely is easy. Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, allows us to act with integrity, allows us to share our story, and allows us to share the great news that the gospel has for us. Let's pray to him right now.